0: What was the most difficult piece of acting you had to do in The Shining?
1: I think it was just stamina. I, my stamina has increased so much since The Shining. I mean, you really have to be strong for an entire day because the role um, required me to cry all day long, every day. And it was so difficult being hysterical for that length of time.
2: So how do you look back on that film? I mean, are, are you pleased to have done it?
1: I'm very pleased to have done it because I've learned more on that picture and strengthened myself and broadened the scale that my emotions can reach, I think, uh, more than any other picture I've ever done.
0: I don't suppose they uh, told you anything in Denver
2: about the tragedy we had up here during the winter of 1970? I don't believe they did. Well, uh, my predecessor in this job. I hired a man named Charles Grady, is the winter caretaker. and He came up here with his wife, two little girls, I think about eight and ten, and he had a good employment record, good references. And from what I've been told, I mean, he seemed like a completely normal individual. But at some point during the winter, he must have suffered some kind of a complete mental breakdown. He ran amok and
3: uh, killed his family with an ax stacked them neatly in one of the rooms of the West Wing and uh, then he uh, he put uh, both barrels of a shotgun in his mouth. Well, you can rest assured, Mr. Ullman, that's not going to happen with me. And uh, as far as my wife is concerned, uh, I'm sure she'll be absolutely
0: fascinated when I tell her about it. She's a uh, confirmed ghost story
1: and horror film addict.
2: Here's Johnny! Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent, here with Kat and Dave. Kevin is on the line. We're doing something a little bit different this week. Three of us are in person for the first time in a very long time. Nice to see you guys again. Nice to see you too. Uh, Kevin is still phoning it
0: in for the time being. How's it going, Kevin? It's hot. It's really hot. And the the person (laughs) that lives above me still stomps too much. And I've discovered that they use their garbage disposal like approximately 25 times a day. So I I think it's a serial killer. This week,
2: could be Hotel Motel, always a uh, breeding ground for evil. Everybody knows a lot of evil goes on at the hotels and the motels. So, we have a couple Hotel Motel horror movies this week. My pick is a movie called The Innkeepers from 2011. This is written and directed by Ty West. We talked about his film, The Sacrament. Back on our Faith episode, this is the story of the Yankee Peddler Hotel in somewhere, Connecticut. In the final days of operation, the owner of the hotel is on vacation in Barbados, and our two main characters, Claire and Luke, have decided to hold down the hotel for the last weekend. The only two staff in the place, Luke fancies himself a bit of a paranormal investigator, has some paranormal investigating gear, and he's building a website about the legend of Madeline O'Malley, who is a woman who allegedly killed herself in one of the rooms of the hotel, and now her spirit uh, haunts the grounds. I love this movie. Um, I think this is a lot of fun. I'm getting the impression that other people maybe didn't enjoy it as much as I did. Uh, so I'm just going to pass the baton before I really go much further on this. Kevin, I think
0: you like this one, right? I love The Innkeepers. I'm also on like a real Ty West kick. Um, if you want to go back and listen to the Faith episode, if you haven't, I clearly upset the other hosts of this show with my introduction to Ty West. But recently, uh, Trent and I revisited House of the Devil uh, for our Patreon. And then the innkeepers for this episode. I, I love this movie. I don't know why people would have a problem with it, especially if you if you're a fan of the next movie we're going to talk about. Search me. Um, it's it's look look. Ty West can make a movie for seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars that looks this good, has legit scares, has really great characters, very small cast, uh, indicative of a Ty West movie, and very small setting. I love the Yankee Peddler Inn. I love the fact that it, it, it's real. It's, it was built in 1891 in Torrington, Connecticut. I only know Torrington because the company I used to work for had a store there. And one time when I was driving through Connecticut, I felt the need to find it. Um, this was filmed in the actual Yankee Peddler Inn in 2011. And, hey, it's a slow burn. I know we talk about Thai West movies a lot being kind of a slow burn. But this one, it's got a great payoff. It has a great story. I absolutely love the relationship between Claire and Luke. Sarah Paxton playing Claire as the young woman that is the one of the two staff members. Pat Healy playing Luke, who is a total sketchy douche. But we've all worked these jobs where we have like this relationship with someone that you would never have a relationship with unless you worked this like weird job with them. And I love how like nonchalant they are about their paranormal exploration of the hotel, especially like as it's dying and the doors are closing. Um, I love the ending, and I love the fact that I didn't have any clue, and I've seen this movie three or four times, no clue that Kelly McGillis was in this movie playing the pseudo-celebrity Leanne Reese Jones as one of the only guests in the hotel for the final weekend. Um, Kelly McGillis, of course, of Top Gun fame. And to tie her her into one of our last episodes, Uh, she was in The Accused, starring across Jodie Foster, which is the movie that Jodie Foster won, the 1988 Academy Award for Best Actress in, which intimidated Anthony Hopkins as they got ready to do Silence of the Lambs. I can't wait to hear why people have a problem with this, so I'm just going to pass the (laughs) baton as well and let this shit show start rolling down the hill
1: just thought this movie was a, was very boring. I thought this was a snooze fest. Um, wow. I kept waiting for something interesting to happen, but that moment never came. The setup of the spooky hotel with a murderous past, it was there. I was there for it. Sign me up for that movie. But the characters were just, they weren't very interesting. The girl was kind of cringy. What's her name? Sarah Paulson? Paxton. What'd you say? Well,
2: the Claire is the character. Oh, yeah. But her actress. name
4: was Sarah Paulson. <laughs> her dead. name was Sarah Paulson. Um,
1: Paxton. Paxton. Paxton, right. oh, Paxton, sorry. Pa- yeah. R.I.P. Daddy Paxton. Not re- No uh, relation.
4: Obviously not related. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, none of the other characters are interesting to me. Everyone's acting in this movie was pretty bad. Um, then you get to the end and it wasn't surprising at all. You could like see it. Coming a mile away. Like, anyway. Um, I wanted to like this movie because it did have some charming and comical moments. uh, But it just wasn't scary at all. It wasn't interesting. I said that already. Uh, Was it the worst movie I've ever seen? No. But it just didn't give me that that payoff that I wanted. You know what I mean? So that's how I feel about that.
4: I thought this movie was... A, not very good. <laughs> Two, super <laughs> dumb. <laughs> C, not very interesting. But I'd like to just derail the whole podcast for a moment because I know usually my my section of the movie review is like a story of like, like myself. Like, oh, yeah, it was one time I got chased by a guy with a chainsaw. <laughs> <clears throat> but I'm going to do that again and say that even with, with Trent, uh, in tow, I have stayed in some haunted hotels We have. in my time. Mm.
2: Yes, we have.
4: And I had an uh, experience at one in northern Maine uh, in Kingfield. I forget the name. The The Herbert. Something Herbert. The Herbert? Uh, inn. Yeah, I would not anyway, stay there. Anyway, um, I heard, I was the, the guy who's playing the pranks on everyone, not believing anything about this. And then it could have been, you know, a Scooby-Doo situation because they were really leaning into the folklore of this hotel and the history that they've had. They had a couple A&E specials or history channel, whatever. So they felt like they were legit. Um, But in the middle of the night, I heard it. I felt like a thud, like someone dropped like a large piece of furniture. And it really spooked me. But other than that, I haven't really seen any. uh, I don't really believe in ghosts. So that that obviously starts off, you have to really convince me if you're going to tell a ghost story in a hotel. Um, And when I first saw this movie, this was the first Ty West movie I'd ever seen, and it almost prevented me from watching any of his other movies. Um, It suffers from taking place in the same setting the whole movie so much. I watched it on IMDb, and uh, with commercials, I was actually like, it provided some sort of relief to this setting <laughs> is oh like welcome scenery to the Zatavan, whatever it was commercial. Like, Oh, it looks like a nice family. Oh, uh, back to this shit. Um, the whole movie is an internet in- investigation. It's like watching over your girlfriend's shoulder while she goes in a rabbit hole. Um, this movie sucks. <laughs> uh, it's, no, cinematography was good. Uh, I liked the cinematography. That's like literally the only saving grace of the movie, in my opinion. Uh, that was the only substance. As far as like the plot, uh, it was like a found footage movie without found footage.
2: you, wait, you Dave? I you hate this movie so much that you, you're now an insult comedian. I had to watch it again.
4: I, I had to watch it again. No, it is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um I I thought that Sarah Paxton underdelivered and I thought it it was like uh Goosebumps TV series vibe. I like Pat Healy, he went on to better things, but in this I thought he was boring too. I thought the there was no like real chemistry between those two. Uh Sarah Paxton was so just normal and vanilla the whole time. She didn't even ever show any kind of crazy emotion. And then the spoiler is really the only good thing about the movie. I'll just say that we have a death count of one. Uh, wow, maybe two, That's like two. 500 two. years ago. It's, no, it's a two. A caveman two died in this two location. Present
3: day.
2: I love this movie, and I didn't realize that you guys would hate it until I was already watching it again. And oh, then, then you knew it, though. I did. Oh, yeah. So you I know knew.
4: deep in your heart that it's not good, then.
2: No, I just I just knew that you guys wouldn't get it. I knew that Kevin would get it. Um, but Get you guys it. probably we got wouldn't. it. It's you know it's a very different kind of horror movie. It's fine if you don't like it. I'm not. I'm you know what am I going to do? Like defend the movie? No, not but liking I, I it, not getting
4: it are two different things.
2: Let me rephrase it. You didn't vibe with it. Oh, hurt. Is that is that better? Yes. I, I, you I watched didn't it vibe with three it, okay? times.
4: I mean, <laughs> I I gave it my all. This is a very
2: different movie because when you go into it expecting uh, a more conventional horror movie, I think you find that this is really like, just clerks in The Shining. You know, you have the Haunted Hotel, but the... clerks? Clerks. Yeah, this is like clerks at the Overlook Hotel. So it's really, it's like about the menial existence of working a menial job and the camaraderie that you develop with people that you work with that you might never have met before. Your only real connection like these two characters is just that like you're both doing this job every day. And in this case, they're staying at the job for a couple days and they're like work friends not clear how much they are friends outside of work but that's really what the whole thing is about and I think it sort of goes into these ideas of like what it feels like at times to sort of meek out an existence like that and the different commitments that you make and the things that you do for fun the relationships that you have so I thought that was really good and I know it has like kind of a different vibe to it I've just think, there's a warmth to it. It's like the opposite of The Shining, which we're going to talk about uh, in a little bit. But it's a very warm, very like relationshipy movie. And then I really liked the payoff. I thought it was a good horror payoff. Uh, I wasn't expecting the end at all.
0: Yeah, Trent. Okay, you, I like it now. You, Can we talk about The Shining? no, <laughs> you nailed it. It's it's the relationship between them is so bizarre, Uh and I love, like I said, like they're just very like casual about, oh, we're, we're going to, uh, you know, we're going to explore the paranormal in this hotel in our last weekend. And, like, he has this, like, shitty website that he's put together and this, like, lame equipment, and she's, like, very ho-hum about it all. Um, but the, the clerk's comparison is pretty amazing. I never thought of that one. And that's driven home when Claire goes to get coffee and Lena Dunham shows up in yet another Ty West movie as the barista, and I thought that that whole thing was amazing, because if you notice, like Claire's like waiting for her coffee. Clearly, Lena Dunham's character is an oversharer, and she drops the line on Claire that she's like, "My boyfriend hasn't told me he loves me." Well, he did it on I am, but that's like saying it during sex. And then the next scene is Claire walking back into the hotel and she doesn't have a fucking coffee. Like she just walks <laughs> out of that out of that coffee shop, like, I can't take this right now. I can't even wait for my coffee. But like the ho hum way they go about it, And like Ty West has commented that like the movie has sort of a timeless feel like you don't really know, which is the case with some Ty West films, like what era this is taking place in. But he's been quoted as saying it takes place in present day. And part of the reason that you don't see a cell phone is because Ty West has said, like, look, these characters are such losers. They don't have a reason to pull their cell phone out. And also, yeah the web the website that that Luke pulls up is very old looking. And Ty West said, "Yeah, he just sucks at building websites." Um, so the whole thing, <laughs> like when you like when you dig into this, there's a lot to like. I mean both both movies. I'm not going to compare the Innkeepers to The Shining. I will not fall on that sword, but they do mm. have some similarities. Dave mentioned the cinematography. They both sort of have this arc of characters that start experiencing things and then, like, conveniently and oddly forgetting about them, and just like moving along with the storyline. Um, I I I I like this, and you're right. The payoff is so fucking good. Um, I love the the characters, Claire and Luke. How he's obviously much older than her. They do have a scene where Pat Healy is is clearly trying to get her drunk. And then he does sort of like pour out these creepy older coworker feelings for her, which it, we've all listened to enough true crime, or at least Kat and I have, to understand how that usually ends. But it, it's like two people that are lonely in two totally different ways that you pick up on as you watch the movies. You have somebody who wants to believe, and that's Claire. Like, she has no fucking idea what she's doing with her life. Obviously, Kelly McGillis' character calls that out pretty quick. She has a few... Uh, quips with Luke where she calls it out but she wants to believe and she's there doing that and then you have Luke who over the course of the movie you realize he's not an amateur paranormal uh, explorer he's full of shit he wants a companion like he's making all of this shit up so that he can get close to Claire because he just wants a companion so you have these two people who are equally lonely in different ways occupying the same space and they have to coexist that way so really the payoff of this in terms of horror is like a minor footnote in what ty west was actually presenting
2: i was going to pitch i thought um i don't know cat maybe you wouldn't be as receptive uh, to this now that you didn't like the movie but um i think if you did a remake of the innkeepers today uh with a decent budget you and me could play claire and luke
1: oh absolutely yeah
2: don't you think we could pull that off we could probably do a better
1: podcast yeah well it's funny trent because this movie reminded me a lot of that live podcast show that we went to go see that you absolutely hated. <laughs> <I> <laughs> you're think like they're I, I hunting did think for ghosts in this weird building and they recorded it i'm like oh you mean the innkeepers yeah <laughs>
2: I liked how mundane the whole thing was. Not just the situation of the characters, but, like, the hotel is not isolated. It's just right in the, like, downtown of this little shitty town. It's daylight in a lot of the movie. You can see um, through all the windows that it's the light of day. So I thought that it was kind of cool to, like, put the haunted hotel in with this, like, Environment that's so mundane it doesn't even rely on nighttime or the cover of darkness to to do things. And part of the, I think the thing about like nothing happening, quote unquote, is that it's really establishing that like workaday thing. You know, it it you're halfway through this movie, you're wondering if it's even haunted. Like maybe this is just one Shaggy Dog story, and there isn't even haunting in it. Um, so it really it really does kind of. I can see why you would feel like that goes on for too long. But to me, that was sort of part of the what it was doing that makes it different. And I, I appreciated that.
4: I think maybe I would have liked it more as a series. Because every time that it did the thing where it, like, it started a new scene and it was the out exterior of the hotel sign... It was so like three's company or something to me. It was like, <laughs> oh, here we are, the outside of the hotel, there's and there's our yeah, characters. Yeah. And it was a little like corny uh in in that, but There's some TV vibe. I yeah. know that. I but I kind of so like it. Was a series, it.
0: maybe I'd like it, you know. It was you?
2: like a comfort like a comforting TV vibe,
0: you know. We don't have to This is not going to convince you, I guess, to like it more, but you know, we've seen filmmakers get 40, 60, 80, 200 million dollars. And make considerably worse movies than what Ty West just presented us for $750,000.
4: I don't like to think about that stuff because I, I don't want to like have any kind of expectation about what the effects are going to be. Because sometimes minimalist is like all it needs. Sometimes if I just see the thing in the beginning that says rated R for like violence, sexual conduct, brutal savagery, whatever, I'm like, oh, it's not enough. At, like gross adjectives, I'm not even going to watch this movie.
2: Well, if you like it, it's like impressive. You know, when you go, wow, and that was done oh, no. for only like not oh, even no, a million like dollars
4: after, but going into the movie. Yeah, I don't if you like, don't like oh, it, it doesn't I, matter. I, I did, like, I I mean, go, it didn't
2: cost very much to make a bad movie. Wow. Some movies you
4: can't tell is my my <laughs> right, point. Right. Like, I feel like a movie like Goodnight Mommy uh, was probably not that expensive to make, but looks amazing and it should, it looks just the way it should. You know it right. shouldn't be any more expensive or cheap than it
0: looks. You know,
2: I think you can stream this on FlixFling if you're a member, uh, or you can rent this on most of the uh, big platforms right now.
0: If you have the IMDb add-on for Prime, that's what I think Dave and I watch it on. For some reason, IMDb TV suddenly has ads on it, which is for Dave it was uh, pleasant, for me it was super annoying. But just a couple quick things on the flick: uh, the Yankee Peddler, in like I said, legit hotel. Um, Built in 1891, it closed in 2015 for renovations and has never actually reopened. There's been all these, like, stops and starts on the renovations. It is actually known for paranormal uh, activity, allegedly. Uh, Room 353 is the room in which the original owner, Alice Conley, died, and that is where a lot of the paranormal things have been purported to have happened. Uh, Sarah Paxton, who I recognize from 2009's Last House on the Left remake and a shitload of TV. She and Pat Healy would actually re-team up and both be in the movie Cheap Thrills from 2013. I don't know if you guys saw that, but Cheap Thrills is a good one. Yeah, it's on Tubi right now if you want to check it out. Ethan Embry is also in that, uh, who starred in The Devil's Candy, which Sean Byrne directed. We just talked about The Loved Ones. Um, the film was made in 17 days. And like I said, they actually stayed at the Yankee peddler Inn. and apparently the older crew spent all 17 days complaining that the younger crew were always partying and running around. And because it was an old hotel, they could hear them.
4: All right. So okay, if you had to right now, you're out, uh, away from home, staying someplace that, you know, is not your bed. Would you rather stay at the, what's it called? This place? Yankee, Yankee Peddler, peddler, peddler Inn. Inn. The Yankee would you rather be staying at the Yankee Peddler Inn right now or the Overlook?
0: Well, again, we're comparing the innkeepers to the answer shining, the question. So. The Overlook. All right, let's let's get to it.
2: Well, I don't know. <laughs> it seems like the Yankee peddler would be a
0: lot more relaxing than the Overlook. It's BYOB. If it's I'm B-Y-O-B. trying to relax. <laughs> I, uh, I, well, <laughs> I guess if it was the four of us staying there, I would definitely pick the Overlook, and then we would all take bets on who was going to try to kill each other with an axe.
3: This is calm, it's going to get you. Going to knock you right on the head.
0: You better get yourself together. Because soon you're going to be dead.
1: For this week's theme, I picked Stanley Kubrick's 1980 interpretation of Stephen King's The Shining. (laughs) Jack Torrance becomes the winter caretaker of the isolated Overlook Hotel in Colorado, hoping to cure his writer's block. He settles in along with his wife Wendy and their son Danny, who is plagued by psychic premonitions. As Jack's writing goes nowhere and Danny's visions become more disturbing, Jack discovers the hotel's dark secrets and begins to unravel into a homicidal maniac hell-bent on terrorizing his family. Uh, this movie is one of my all-time favorites to watch. I especially loved it when I was a younger little lady, first getting into horror. Um, it's scary and creepy, and it hits. it definitely holds up for sure uh even 40 years later i would say there's no denying that jack nicholson is an unbelievably talented asshole and i can't take my eyes off of him whenever he's on the screen shelly duvall is also great obviously she had the potential to be super annoying and like too over the top uh but i think she's just the right amount of manic and terrified uh, there's such a nice mix of like the supernatural spooky stuff with the shine and like uh, the the Danny, um, you know, psychic shit. Uh, but the ghostly beings at the hotel are also like a very cool, spooky uh, situation, which uh, you're like, are they real? Are they not? They're obviously not real. But uh, there's also that, you know, the evil of actual man, you know, hell bent on destroying some people's lives. Uh, just that hedge maids uh the hedge maze scene alone super stressful and frightening and just beautiful it's just a, a beautiful and creepy and gruesome movie and i just love it a lot
4: the shining um it's one of my favorite movies ever stanley kubrick is one of my favorite directors um and one of the things that uh is interesting about this movie is that there are so many theories on what it's about. There are documentaries about it. Uh room two thirty seven. And there's there's all these people that have different interpretations of this movie, which is I I think that how a movie should be. You know, like the last movie kind of made me feel like I was all witty and smart because I I felt like it it didn't offer me much. This one makes me feel (laughs) stupid. The Shining has so many like Uh, like little things that happen in it. And a very meticulous director, Stanley Kubrick, like never left anything. Excuse me, sir. (laughs) Pat's going to get it.
2: Not the good way.
4: (laughs) Not the good way. But, uh, you know, like he didn't leave anything like to chance. Like everything was set up for a reason. (laughs) All the the pics in the background, everything. There's lots of that stuff. And an interesting thing is I actually think – that there uh i have a new theory on on this movie uh see um i was i grew up on route 237 in Gorm, maine and that's where my parents currently live 237 like room 237 um Ooh. i i have a very uh frail meek uh partner <laughs> um much like uh Shelley Long. It was Shelley? Duval. Duval. <laughs> um Shelly Long of Cheers.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would have been a bad shining.
4: casting. That would have been a bad casting. Um and uh and my dog Elizabeth would actually be uh Danny and um my daughter Connie would be the thing that that lives inside the dog's mouth, Liz's hmm. mouth. And I would, of course be Jack Torrance. Um, so, um, The Shining is one of my favorite movies ever. Um, I don't know what what else to say about it other than uh, it's just uh, astounding. And like the more times you watch it, the more things you find about it. Um, lots of interesting history, and a lot of things tie together between. Other Stanley Kubrick movies and it, not just stylistically but thematically and um, he always has a lot to say and it's like it, we talked about 2001 it's just like you're almost just like f- flabbergasted by what you just experienced uh, to talk about it and so many people have talked about it before um, but I like it when you know like Francis Ford Coppola uh, stepped out of his comfort zone and was like I want to make a horror movie I want to make Dracula Scorsese stepped out and was like I'm gonna do Cape Fear this is like Stanley Kubrick being like I'm gonna do horror and all this Stuff is always dark and always psychological But um, He wanted to make the scariest movie Of all time and I think he did Kind of with mixing Like what had been happening at, at The time um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre had happened And like a lot of the Alfred Hitchcock Stuff and to me this movie kind of like Mixes those worlds uh, together as far as like the brutality and the violence and the the savage stuff with the psychological stuff. So um, I think it's a super important movie in horror, and I'm psyched we're talking about it.
2: Uh, my version of The Shining, personally, is that I, I thought um, when little Danny Torrance is talking to Tony, the boy who lives in his mouth, his imaginary friend, um, these are... Functionally, he's talking to himself, but he has... A different voice for Tony, and I thought that like when Danny is talking to Tony, it's like when I'm talking to my dog Calvin. It's the same thing. Like I'm like, oh, did you want some ham? <laughs> yes, I did. Want some ham? <laughs> I don't want to talk to you don't want it? Do you want it like- I do. <laughs> you do? <laughs> yeah, I want that." Oh, okay. <laughs> so it was relatable in that sense. Um, so thank you, Cat for introducing me to this movie um and and i'm yeah um i knew dave liked it a lot so i just went into it you know (laughs) who who knows what to expect uh and i always appreciate you know being introduced to something that i haven't seen before and it might be a little bit off the beaten path or something like that so (laughs) to see something like this like the first time i was like ah this seems like really overacted and like super hammy and uh you know, Jack Nicholson is, like, so crazy the minute they show him. And, I'm like, nothing really scary happens in this uh, at all. It's like kid is seeing things or something. And, uh, but, you know, going back, I did appreciate it. Uh, the second time, I was like, well, I think it's, like, sort of like a um, – uh, a satire or it's like a send up of horror. I think in some ways, seriously, I do think that, um, but no, it, this is a great one. I've, I've probably like, honestly, this would have to be up there for me just in ter- If I could like calculate all the cumulative hours or minutes of seeing something, not that it's ever been my favorite movie or anything by, by any stretch. Uh, it's not one that I would normally like be like, Oh, the shining, you know, would bring it up. But Um, I've seen it so many times, and I've seen parts of it so many times that it has to be among the most watched for me. Um, I did, you know, I think it's a weird movie. I think there's, um, it's endlessly interesting, and there's stuff going on that rewards repeat viewings, although I would say the same thing about the innkeepers. Um, I hadn't seen this in quite some time, so it was great to to go back, and I kind of got... Uh, caught up in this, um, watched it a couple times. The first time I really was like, I don't know, maybe this is overrated. Like um, there's interesting choices in this. Um, But uh, the second time I really loved it just as much as always. And then I started watching that um, documentary Room 237, is it? Mm -hmm. Um, Which was like just too annoying to me really to pay much attention to. So then I just watched The Shining
4: some more. Um, Great one. O- always uh, fun to revisit. I did the same thing. I did watch uh, Room 237 and then go back to watching The Shining. <laughs> yeah, just
2: because yeah. yeah, I was like, why? why am I watching this, which is like not what I expected at all, uh, when I could just watch The Shining some more. Yeah, I
4: was hoping it'd be like the Cliff Notes.
0: It definitely isn't. We'll get into that. It's interesting that, that you guys, Kat, talked about how this is 40 years old. Dave talked about like the time it came out. Came out in nineteen, came out in 1980, which we just talked about Prom Night that came out in 1980. We just talked about The Fog uh, in the Prom Night episode. Also, Friday the 13th came out in 1980. So what an interesting time for horror to have, you know, a cult classic like Prom Night, uh, a Carpenter movie like The Fog. You have the legendary Friday the 13th that spawned Jason, and then you have The Shining. Look, this this is one of my favorites too. Trent, I'm with you. This has to be like one of the most not watched all the way through because this is a long one. It's two hours long. Not watched all the way through, but like I just feel like since I can remember, I can remember moments of like every year of my life catching part of The Shining. And I've told you guys like I came from a huge Stephen King family, so I never knew all of the obvious shit like, you know, Stephen King hated Kubrick's vision of this Um, I read The Shining. I was young. It's been a long time. I was probably like 12 or 13. Um, So I I really had to go back to like the Internet to figure out some of the differences between the book and the movie. But I I think one of my favorite things learning about this movie and watching it for the show is that Stanley Kubrick was fucking bored. He had done everything you could possibly do pushing the boundaries of filmmaking. Um, I mean, what was 2001 1968? I mean, we're 12 years removed from him making a movie that still stands the test of time. I mean, Kat, when we talked about 2001, you were talking about how your roommates walked in. and were like, oh, what is this, like the 80s? Mm-hmm. No, this is like 20 years before. Uh, so he, he had done a movie called Barry Lyndon, which it's a fine movie. I've seen Barry Lyndon. I've seen all of, of Kubrick's stuff. It's a fine movie. It's super fucking boring. It's shot beautifully. And they said that Kubrick was bored. I mean, this guy has a fucking IQ of 200. And he started reading Subliminal Seduction, which was a book at the time that was talking about advertisers using subliminal messages and imagery to sell you shit. So Kubrick went to these ad companies and said, hey, I want to learn your ways. And then he dumped hundreds of them into The Shining. He also just flipped a huge middle finger to Stephen King and was like, thanks for the inspiring source material. But I'm going to make a Stanley Kubrick movie. I appreciate the outline. I'm going to completely butcher it. Um, But look, this movie is super scary. The sound design is unbelievable. One of my favorite scenes of a movie that I still remember from being a kid is when Danny is riding his big wheel in circles around the hotel. And he goes from carpet to wood floor to carpet to wood floor. And Kubrick has the cinematographer following him with a steady cam, and you just hear like the very soft wheels and then all of a sudden he comes off the carpet and it's like on the floor. It, like I, I literally remember that to this day. Um so this is this is huge, it's a huge one for me. Um I'm gonna disagree. I think Kat was pushing for Jack Nicholson to be daddy of the week. <laughs> I'm gonna disagree a little bit because he was just a fucking douchebag
3: mm-hmm. right
0: from the get-go. Uh, I'm gonna say that Daddy of the Week has to be Scatman Cruthers, who played yes. Dick Halloran. He's he's our guy this week. I have no idea who Mommy of the Week is because I'm gonna disagree with you, Kat, again, that oh, Shelly no. Duval was fucking annoying in this oh, movie. No. Effectively annoying, effectively annoying. And at times she did like uh, pull out some empathy of like, holy shit, can you imagine being in this situation? Like, mm-hmm. they've cl- Kubrick has clearly hinted, which King goes into de- more detail in the book, that this is a woman that's already dealing with a pretty damaged relationship with her husband. And then all of a sudden, you know, she's, you know, snowbound in the mountains of Colorado at a hotel with a guy that's losing his mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but hey, again, small cast. Very, very uh, same setting, Dave. I mean, you criticize the innkeepers for being a closed setting. I realize the Overlook Hotel is a much more vast location and that Kubrick Kubrick does a lot of interesting things with, like, expanding it and messing with your mind as far as, like, spatially what you're seeing. But, you know, it's a small cast, a very centralized location. I I disagree with that because you
4: have where they live in the beginning and you have the travel to the place in Colorado, which is a huge part of it, it's like terrifying in itself, just those crazy helicopter shots, then I think the maze is a whole different thing than the hotel. That's a whole different atmosphere. And many of the rooms in the hotel, uh, the individual rooms and the ballrooms and all that stuff, is they're way different. It's not the same setting at all. I feel like it's visually always changing.
2: Uh, hey, Kevin, when Danny was driving me... Um big Wheel around like you were talking about. Didn't you think of the omen?
0: Did I think I of was what? waiting
2: for yes. Danny to, uh, you know, run into Wendy and <laughs> knock her right <laughs> off like <laughs> one of the staircases or something? Kubrick definitely, uh, you know, paying
0: a tribute to the omen, yeah. That's that was very, yeah, theory. that was very omen, yes. And I love that scene in The Omen, that's one of my favorites.
4: Um, the thing that I like is that, uh, there's lots of like, uh, his like historical nightmares like or like battles with the past you know like uh jack torrance is battling with uh alcoholism and and writing a book and all this stuff um and then there's also you know like the vague native american uh Stuff they talk about being bar- on a Indian barrow ground. And oh yeah, they... so there's like lots of like like stuff that's in the past the the past of the hotel, the guests that were there, the murders that happened, and then you have Danny, who's basically in the future watching everything as it concludes and what's going to happen, and Scatman Crothers, I guess, too, the people that have The Shining. Um, you know, it's it's just cool how they. Have the different perspectives on time, people that are living in the past, people that are living in the future. And I also heard that you could watch this movie backwards. <laughs> and it, it's still.
2: I think, well, no, if you sync this up with Dark Side of the Moon, that's <laughs>
4: what I heard. You <laughs> can the watch it backwards. No, it's to The Wizard of Oz. Dark Side it's of The, the Moon. Wizard of Oz. If no, you I was sync up The before, Shining though, if with if The Wizard of you Oz. you watch it backwards, It's uh, it starts with a photograph of the party that goes to the murder and then goes back. So it's almost as though. Jack Torrance is Grady, if you want. If you took the story backwards, only by Kubrick's imagining of it, not Stephen King's story.
1: Um, I think we should all appreciate the spooky boobs um, in this film as well.
0: Might be mommy, mommy of the nice, week. Um, Might be mommy. Maybe of those week. boobs. Yeah, <laughs>
1: those um, zombie boobs are the mommy mm. of mm. the week. Yum, yum. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. There's the weird, like sexual stuff in this, like when. He comes upon the weird, like, people in the masks, like, going down on one another. Like, what was that about?
0: Oh, the furry love? Yeah. The bear gets it? <laughs> or, oh, I'm sorry. The bear's giving it.
1: How? But with the mask on, I just
4: don't... There's there's a few random scenes in this that are just... I, I like the one at the end where there's, like, a room full of skeletons, and it's, like, it almost looks like a Halloween, like, haunted house mm-hmm. with... um. Wendy comes across—I don't know—it's her imagination or whatever. But
2: it's almost like a like '80s horror genre scene, real quick. When they show all the skeletons in there, <laughs> Look, looks like a different movie. All of a sudden, I, I think a the,
4: the shot forces. of the guy with the head split in half. Mm-hmm.
0: I think Kubrick was—I don't think he was just flipping off Stephen King. I think Kubrick was flipping off horror. I think he was intentionally doing like continuity errors. To be like, well, this shit happens in horror movies all the time. So I'm just going to do it like way more stylistically or subtly and make people think about it. Uh, I think that that scene where Shelly Duvall's character, Wendy, is she's also because that is a whole continuity scene where she is starting to see the ghosts as well for the first time. And they throw in like, yeah, it looks like she walked into like the spirit of Halloween store on like April 29th. <laughs> like oh, everything's 50 percent right. off. We just set <laughs> yeah, this room exactly. up. Um, I think I honestly I think part of this movie is Kubrick, you know, really being bored, like I said, and like coming out and, and trying to push himself. And I think a ton of it is you can't figure out which parts in which imagery he's saying is totally serious in which parts where he's just like, fuck off, horror people. I could own you like this easily, like the greatest horror author of all time. And Kubrick's taking on the horror movie genre at a time where it's exploding with, if you're a Kubrick, incredibly cheesy films like Prom Night and Friday the 13th. I mean, he's looking at his competition and being like, all right, I'm bored. I'm just going to destroy every single thing about this genre and somehow make a movie that is now heralded 40 years later as one of the greatest horror movies of all time.
4: Well, the thing with the continuity is like you're, looking at a guy's career who never has any like problem with continuity. He's like very meticulous about every frame of every shot. And then you have like in the interview, the guy's tie changes in the middle of the interview. Mm -hmm. He's wearing a different tie. And it's like, why are you doing these things? There's like times where the pattern on the floor is going the other way, or there's different pictures or there's something in the background and it like raises like lots of questions, like, why would a guy who's so meticulous the rest of his career, never leaving a thing undone would do something not on purpose? And it actually reminded me of, like, it follows in that way. Like we watched it follows, and I hated it at first. And then I <laughs> loved it when I started looking into all the things that they did, like that that were just subtly changing. and that's probably the subliminal uh, uh, marketing that you were talking about, Kevin
0: yeah i mean i i forget the director of it follows but yeah i I do remember talking about that and being like they're inside or out on the deck in the tub and then they go inside and walk outside and they're in like winter clothes and it's fall um a a little more overt (laughs) than what kubrick was doing here but yeah i mean it's i don't think we've talked enough about the cast because you know Mm -hmm. I, i did shit a little bit on on nicholson and duvall but they really do have very effective performances in this movie. Effective. Danny Danny is great. His name is actually Danny. Um, he was allowed to cameo in Doctor Sleep, the sequel, which I still have not seen. I know I think some of oh, you guys so have, bad. and you did not like it. It's not great. I, d- I didn't love it. Uh, but, you know, Scatman Crothers as Dick Halloran is great. But, like, y- you know, some of my favorite scenes are, like, Barry Nelson as Stuart Ullman, who is interviewing Jack. And then Barry Denon, who you talked about, Dave, who was Bill Watson, who was this like other manager of the hotel that walks in at some part during the interview. And just Just they both have these like really bizarre personas that I think subconsciously like add to the suspense. Like Barry Nelson's character as Stuart Ullman is like way too welcoming and like really wanting to sell Jack on this role. And then Bill Watson comes in and is sort of like sizing him up. And that's like when his tie changes and like the pattern on his pants changes, and you're like, what is going on here? Like somebody knows more than they're letting on about this particular hotel. But that's, I mean, honestly, that's pretty much it. Other than you know Philip Stone who plays Delbert Grady, and um, I, I mean, is Grady the bartender? Am I am I remembering that correct? Is great Grady the bartender or? Who's the bartender in this? Albert Grady was the previous was the caretaker that killed his family. They killed his family, but bartender is a different guy. Different. So that's the only other real like important cast member of this. So I mean, you're really dealing with like eight people or something the entire movie, um, and I think that's very fitting for how isolating this movie really is. Uh,
2: yeah. There, there's a lot. You know, I I feel like if you look that hard for continuity errors in most movies you will find them and this movie kind of invites that type of analysis so it's like yeah you can always like find all these things how much is intentional how much of the like lore of Kubrick um, is real and how much is just like uh, you know it's a guy making a movie but like
4: it's not just other movies though like his movies don't have yeah I'm, I'm, I'm not
2: like um, dismissing these things necessarily but it, there's, there's like that's what the documentary I feel like was about about um, all the people that be that get obsessed with it. It's like, what is the line between where you're just you know, you're sort of just coming up with things and what's intentional? I mean, you don't know because the guy's is it dead. like
4: making an album and like deciding to leave in the feedback, yeah, but like and leaving you know, what I mean, people did he like do over it, like, because he did he just didn't want to care about that stuff, maybe he wanted to have more, yeah. soul in the movie and he wanted to worry about other things, or did he do it on purpose? That's the right. question. But but
2: when you make things, you know that everything is like a hodgepodge of intention, unintention, accidents, happy accidents, uh, edited accidents. Um, you know, this comes from that, and I feel like there's always a temptation with a work like this, even if it's like an album or it's a song, people always want to, like, talk about, well, you know... This person was doing this and that, and you know, but what do you really know? I mean, it's all sort of uh, that's kind of the mystery of it. Um, so I appreciate that stuff. Uh, I try to just watch it a little more purely than that myself. And I loved the um, whole uh, trope of the writer fail. This is a classic writer mm-hmm. fail here where. You're you're pretty sure that if you just can go somewhere that's quiet, you don't have a lot of distractions, <laughs> you get a, a chunk of time where you can think for a change, and, you know, you can really focus on what you're trying to do here. You're sure you'll uh, get some ideas together, you'll get this, put some form to this thing, and you'll be a little more inspired if you just get the right circumstance around you, but... That often doesn't work at all. Like, you just do that, and then you're like doing what, what Jack Torrance does in this. It's, he's not inspired. It's not really helping him. He's just going crazy. He's typing nothing. Uh, that's real life. So well, I appreciate it's, that.
4: It's like why I enjoyed quarantine. It's like I tried to make uh, I, I, you know, a struggling writer myself uh, of sorts. And I do this so I can be like, leave me the fuck alone. I got to go somewhere and write. Uh, it's a really nice privilege to have. <laughs> and I, you know, I feel for him in the scenes in this where he is trying to write and he can't write and he has writer's block. It is sad, but um, I think Jack Nicholson is so amazing in this movie. Um, and Shelley Duvall, uh, I think that we, can, I, I, can't personally understate how uh, emotional and scary like this cat and mouse thing at the end here is.
2: Sorry to interrupt, Dave. But speaking of Shelley
0: Duvall, Kevin, you found her annoying. Uh, no, not. I mean, I like her yellow teeth. I want to say, I want to say, like, over overactery at times. I, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I connected with the character, and I definitely understood like where they were coming from. But I thought that she was a little like over the top at times. It's for, hammy. For a, it's
2: all very hammy. You guys have to admit that all the performances. I mean, Nicholson you, is not. So you far asked over me the question. Anything. Let me
0: fucking finish so, my answer. Kevin, for the for the finish
1: his answer.
4: You, For the
3: intro, would oh, you be okay. willing to... Woo, woo.
4: <laughs> would you be willing to do an audition of one of the scenes that Shelley Duvall does in this movie as Sh- the intro? Sure. And you, yes. you can redo... You can do your your audition tape. Yeah. And I mean, then I'll... us and the show will decide if you would have been a better cast
0: <laughs> in The Shining than... Shelley Duvall. I'm not comparing myself to Shelley Duvall. She's an amazing <laughs> actress. That's not where this needs to go. What I'm saying, Trent, is that I thought she was over overactery at times. And when I was watching it, knowing that Kubrick was like was, I think like sort of a certain percentage being like very serious and a certain percentage like flipping off the horror audience and King himself. I honestly wondered if like he was enjoying this, like if he was pushing Shelley Duvall to do this, and then. Reading about the movie for the show and finding out that Shelley Duvall fucking hated every second of it and hated Kubrick because he would mm. make her do like 17 takes of the same scene. So at some time, I think we're seeing actual mania. And I think Kubrick, again, was doing this intentionally to annoy the audience, to like push us to like sensory overload. And that's not necessarily an enjoyable thing. I'm not taking it away from Shelley Duvall's performance. I'm just saying if that's what Kubrick was going for, he achieved it. I was super annoyed at times with some of Shelley Duvall's sequences. And if that was the intended effect, thank you, Shelley. Thank you, Kubrick. I didn't enjoy it, but you got the right emotion out of me.
2: Well, she does smoke cigarettes at the table with Danny. I thought that was interesting. They're like hot. just having sandwiches at the kitchen table and she's smoking away but it was a different time i don't know i mean again i feel like it's easy to uh think of like sort of all these angles behind things and stuff and and i'm not into the lore as much um i thought they were both like over the top i thought everyone in this movie was over the top um the first scene that really kind of threw me if i'm stepping out of the ivory tower and not like being totally irreverent about every single fart in this. <laughs> um, when uh, Wendy is talking to the doctor about Danny and she does the whole long admission about Jack has been drinking and he dislocated Danny's shoulder, like that whole scene is so not realistic. It's so fake. Like, really, no person she, would I, just like I, give this whole monologue and like about all this embarrassing uh, private stuff. Uh, she's not trying not to for hide. Well, okay, well, let today. me this. where's the cops? Uh, <laughs> and then right from that scene, it goes to the car scene where they're all the close up of the three of them in the in the car, and Danny's in the back, but he's right up between the seats. And you know, Jack is so weird; like he's so maniacal. It's just the whole scene isn't believable about the cannibals and stuff. I just I wonder if those things and maybe this is where I will go lower with you. If those things are intentional, like, is that supposed to be very over the top and very exaggerated? And like, is it calling attention to that? Is he saying something when he does that? Or is that just like it didn't really work that good? I don't know. I'm, I'm
4: asking. I'll give you that. But I feel like that that became Jack Nicholson's whole. Career after that is that whole like snide yes, response sure. to everything <laughs> eyebrowsy, <Yeah>. and like <laughs> I could have not used it the rest of his career, but I think in this movie it works.
0: Yeah. No, I just I, dis- I disagree because this was made in 1980 where it would have been completely normal, and unfortunately it probably still is today, for a woman to sit across from a doctor and to try to explain away the fact mm-hmm. that her husband's a drunk asshole and ripped her fucking kid's shoulder out of his socket. Yeah, but she I didn't don't ask for that. She that's volunteered not over that. The, to- the only thing that, only thing that didn't poignant. age well is the cigarette smoking. Everything else still applies. <laughs>
4: that's true.
1: Yeah. I
2: just don't think that it's realistic that a human being just—if you know human beings and you know how they tend to function—she just volunteers this whole thing. You know, when, when the doctor asks how he dislocated his shoulder, okay, so that comes up. Typically, if you are trying to hide that, you wouldn't be like she's, oh, she's not trying well, to hide it.
0: The, uh, what, 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 what Kubrick is saying is it it like abuse like a... is normal at this time. Yeah, and they've right, also right. clearly they've also laid the runway for Shelley Duvall's character to be. Mm-hmm. Increasingly exposed as very isolated, not just yeah. at the Overlook right. Hotel, but in her relationship at home. And literally, the first person that comes into her home to talk about her or to talk to her about her son, she just info dumps all of this, yeah. like right. overshares okay, sure. all, all of right. it. I, th-
1: all right. I think where she's coming from is she's trying to explain it to herself. Like she's basically just yes. saying it out loud for her own good to be like oh but it was fine it was an accident he just you know he got a little worked up. blah 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 like you hear that a lot you know in these kinds of things that makes
2: sense I'm, i'll buy that sure
1: but uh jack nicholson was great yeah (laughs) um i think this this film was definitely i think it was just made for him because he's it's just look at him he's just he is jack torrance i feel like in real life i feel like he's a he's also a huge dick in real life so it makes sense
4: <laughs> jack I, do you know him
1: no i just come on look at no,
4: him i mean i mean I, who, who might I, not know well
1: i know he did angelica houston dirty and she's my girl so okay.
4: <laughs> how did he
2: do, how they did got he divorced. Uh, do her dirty they
1: were never married it was just you know he strung her along i don't know i've read some things on the internet it doesn't matter <laughs> <laughs> That's your oh, wow. lore. That's your version. <laughs>
2: Kevin has his lore and you have yours. That's totally fair. Yeah.
4: Lore. I'm going to give Jack Nicholson the benefit of the doubt. Oh, this character is so believable, it's easy to hate him.
2: Yeah. Well, okay. Um, here's another scene that was so maybe you guys can sell me on something. When, uh, when Dick, the cook, is. um Revealing his uh, his shining, and it, he calls Danny Doc, which is Danny's nickname from his parents. And then Wendy is like, oh, how do you know we call him Doc? Uh, and he's totally flummoxed by this. He doesn't know how to get out of it. And he's like, ah, oh, I'm stammering and stuttering. Like, maybe you called him Doc, and I just heard you. It's really he not believable like at doc. all. Wouldn't, wouldn't a psychic, a lifelong and old psychic like that... Wouldn't he be a little more prepared? Like, I think what he would be used to maybe you you get ahead of yourself as a psychic and you tip your yeah. your psychic powers. That you wouldn't be so caught off guard by making a little mistake. You could just say, "Oh, I don't know, I call everyone Doc. Why does he yeah. have to go into this whole elaborate thing about you call them Doc?" And you I heard think you?
1: think he uh, would have seen that coming. Well, yeah, that's why. She's like, I don't believe
4: in in psychics. True. True. Because uh, they would all be
1: at the they would all be at the lot
4: the casino there I'll be rich
2: I liked how um, Jack's descent is at first just illustrated by his sleeping patterns like as the movie the first half of the movie goes on there's they keep giving you little signs about like how much later he's sleeping and how much later he's going to bed and it starts when uh, Wendy brings him breakfast in bed it's been a month Um, and I also liked how the title cards went from at first it gives you a month and then by the end of the movie, it's giving you, like, the time of day. It goes month, mm. and then it's showing you day, and then it's showing you time of day. Um, but when Wendy brings uh, Jack breakfast after the month, it, he asks what time it is, and she says it's almost noon, or it's 1130. And then there's another scene later in the movie where it's, like, daylight, and she says to Danny that Dad just went to bed a couple hours ago. So he's, like, he's even though he's supposed to be sober, he's, like, sort of, like, on this jag. The whole time where he's like, he's writing quote unquote all night, but really he's like drinking all night and he's like sleeping later and later and becoming more and more removed, obviously from the family. But some of those like subtle early signs, I appreciate it.
4: But there's no alcohol. Like I was saying, it's B-Y-O-B. So there's no alcohol in there. Yeah. So I mean, it's not like a
2: figurative. It's like metaphorical, ha- right. I think.
4: Halluci- hallucinating.
2: Kevin, did you um, come across any theories on how little Danny is able to cover his snow tracks with snow (laughs) at the end? Because that was another one where... (laughs) He's really trying. No, I'm not. I just... (laughs) Wow. Okay, go go ahead. What's the answer on that?
0: Uh, I did not. It's, It's just a really powerful scene watching a small child... Uh, know enough oh, to outwit his dad, okay. chasing him through a snowman. Uh, okay. okay, he's it's literally up. Child. He brings
4: up the my favorite scenes. Child. Like honestly, I the scene in the beginning with the doctor, I thought was like perfect. I was like, that's so vulnerable of her to like spill her guts like that. And then the scene in the 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 cooler when he reveals that he has the shining or whatever. I, I love that scene. I thought all the all the scenes that you're bringing up were actually. Some he was a little quick,
2: scenes. don't you think? It was getting a little bit familiar with the child to just sit him down and tell him about. No, psychics. I liked it. This, I mean,
4: he I... was talking, and this feedback started, and this feedback like drowns out his voice, and then he just yeah. kind of looks over in the middle of you still that hear was the cool. mumbling in yeah, the back. I that. like that. I like that. I thought that was cool, and that was great. Uh, but was then he sits him down that. for
2: ice cream and tells him. He's a psychic and sees dead people, and he, I, it's just
0: a little familiar. He just met the kid and his uh, parents. No, I, I mean, I think like I think the guy place. the guy understands the energy of the hotel, and he understands that. Oh God, there's a kid here that has it too, and he's sort of giving me a heads up that like, hey, you may be able to pick up on some bad shit that's gonna happen, and that's at the beginning of the movie. And by the end of the movie, Danny is a hundred percent picking up on really bad shit that's gonna happen. There's a scene. And and uh, one of you just talked about it where uh, Shelley Duval is talking about how late Jack slept. And the tail end of that scene is Danny going in to talk to him as Jack is getting out of bed and he's kind of groggy. And it seems like this bizarre scene where Jack is like, you know, sh- shaking off the fog of sleep and we all know that he's losing his mind. And Danny, at appearance, seems to be like innocently asking his dad, like, You know, do you love me? Like, would you ever hurt me? But, like, Danny has already seen a whole bunch of this stuff. And I think Dick Halloran kind of clued him in, like, hey, look for this. And Danny's actually testing his dad at that moment. He's testing Jack and saying, would you ever hurt me? And he's trying to validate the things that he's seen in his mind. And he knows what's going Mm. to come, which is exactly how Danny gets away from him at the end and outsmarts him in the maze.
2: That's a great scene. And uh what really struck me about that scene, Jack hasn't been to bed yet, is what I mean, he's not waking up, I don't think. He just hasn't slept at all. He's just sitting there being a weirdo staring at the wall or something. <laughs> um, but he says, I wish we could stay here forever and ever and ever which is a direct quote from the twins earlier in the movie they tell Danny we want
0: to play with you forever and ever yeah and ever.
2: like now it's like channeling directly through
0: uh Jack's language that I thought that was pretty cool um can we talk about so out of all the things in in room 237 that it, it is bonkers i know trent couldn't even make it through the movie but we all know that there's like this Prevailing conspiracy theory that Stanley Kubrick shot the moon landing footage mm-hmm. and that it was an actual footage of the moon landing. I think I can see Trent walking away right now. He has no interest in no that uh, No, that is a well-known,
2: relevant, <laughs> that is a conspiracy
0: theory that is out there. That's an official one. So I almost didn't make it through room 237 until this guy started talking at about like an hour and four minutes in, I want to say. And he goes off on how this movie proves that Kubrick is trying to tell the world that he absolutely shot the Apollo moon footage and used a tactic called front screen projection at the time. He claimed every time that Kubrick deviated from King's book, he was giving us clues on his involvement. Uh, Danny, at the time that Dave talks about where the carpet pattern changes, Danny stands up and he's wearing an Apollo 11 sweater which is obviously the, uh, the ship that landed on the moon. Um, I mean, I was like, a few minutes into this, I was like, come on, Kubrick was just known for fucking with people, and this conspiracy theory had been out there at the time. However, this guy goes on to be like, okay, he's full of it with the room number change because Kubrick changed the room number from the book, which was 217 to 237, because he claims that the hotel where this room was shot in did not want to have people know that 217 was the, was the room from the book, and they didn't have a, uh, a room 237. However, this guy claims that they absolutely do have a room 237, and that it's the most uh, sought-after room now. He also says that the distance from the Earth to the moon is 237,000 miles, and then he points out when Danny first enters room 237 that the key to the room Says capital R O O M room number capital N zero, which used to be an old way to uh to show number. And he says, Oh, all you can spell with those capital letters are moon room. I was, oh. I was kind of into this conspiracy I theory, I was kind of into it. He also backed it up with like a bunch of footage from like. The, the the old world wars where, like, you're not actually seeing footage from anybody, like, storming the beaches of Normandy. They're recreating it, like, on a beach in Hollywood. And he was basically just saying that, like, he doesn't think that we didn't land on the moon. He just thinks that we didn't have the technology to shoot footage of it. And they hired Kubrick to just shoot some realistic footage and say, this is us landing on the moon.
3: Mm.
2: Unknowable. Um You can either... <laughs> Believe that or believe not. I, I really don't know. Maybe we didn't land on the moon. You know? I, I
0: don't mean, know. I was, not... was going to get us all, uh, I love the, the, the Kubrick moon landing film crew shirt or whatever this out there. Oh, uh,
3: yeah. <laughs> um, yeah.
0: I wasn't I that, there. I thought that'd be appropriate. <laughs>
2: I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to act like I was there, but let me know if you do come across any theories about how you would, uh, how Danny would cover his tracks with snow, because that just, it wouldn't okay. make sense. And then, Without that, then he doesn't escape, you know?
4: Well, the the government's exposed that there are UFOs, so we're going to get a lot of information. Hopefully, it'll piece all this uh, The Shining, Stanley Kubrick, 2001, everything all together.
2: Mm. This is on HBO Max right now, or you can rent it on uh, most platforms.
0: Yeah, and uh, speaking of HBO Max, they just greenlit an Overlook series. which is going to be a J.J. Abrams-run prequel series with a bunch of the staff from Hulu's Castle Rock, which is also a Stephen King-inspired series. Uh, And that's going to be done, I think, uh, this year, maybe for release next year. So we'll get a prequel to a lot of the stuff that was purported to have happened at the Overlook Hotel with a bunch of the characters we know from The Shining.
4: Well, hopefully they don't ruin it.